Before we get started with the show today, I have a listener to thank for a donation. Patricia Leeds sent us $25 via PayPal. Patricia also sent us a very nice message. I'm going to read just part of it here. Hi, Rebecca and Ross. I love listening to The Messy Studio. There's so many interesting topics. The one on beauty was one of the ones that caught my attention. I really agree with you that descriptions or feelings said about an artist's work is much more important than just saying something is beautiful or nice or pretty. Thank you, Patricia, for that very nice message. And thank you so much, Patricia, for your donation. It's really going to help the show out. If you would like to help to support the show, you can go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right hand corner that says donate and there you can set up a single time donation or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. So thank you again, Patricia. On with the show. Hello and welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's episode, we are talking about what do artists collect? When artists collect, it's often but not always related to our art practices. We tend to collect works of art that we've bought or traded for, art books, memorabilia like announcements and posters, and of course, art supplies. But what about the more unexpected things we gather in our homes and studios? What do our collections tell us about ourselves and our attraction to certain kinds of objects? Today, we'll report on what some artists had to say when Rebecca posed this topic on Facebook, along with our own musings about the meaning of collections. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So I started thinking about this one day uh, recently when I was cleaning my house and I was dusting off uh, some of the folk toys that I like to collect. And I, I'm doing this and thinking, why do I have these? Like, are they just collecting <laughs> dust? <laughs> um, but That's but, a collection that many of us have is, is dust. <laughs> um, but there is some appeal. So I, I thought about, well, what do I like about them? And and there's there's definitely um, a connection to childhood, and also an appreciation for the the way that they're not mass produced. These are carved, or maybe they're antiques, but they're older things, and often they're made by hand. And there's I love that, and I love the to picture uh, adults making them for children in their lives or whatever. So um, I just you know I realize there's a there's an emotional appeal for these things. And then I started to wonder, well, what do other artists collect? I, you know, I've been in so many different artists' homes and studios, and rarely are they minimalist environments, you know. <laughs> Most right. artists have stuff, and they have collections of things here and there. Um, and I don't really know if that impulse to collect is stronger in artists than other people, but... I do think there's a creative aspect to it and that it does connect to um, our creative lives. Um, right. Well, and, and artists have very strong personalities, typically. Um, and I, th I think that collections are kind of a representation of our personalities. And yeah. it's, a, it's a drive to 
um, personalize our environment to make our environment more about us. And so that when you walk into a room, you think this person made this, this, this feels like this person, which is kind of what we're doing with our art all the time. Absolutely. It relates to personal voice and personal history. Um, a lot of us have collections that go back to childhood, or we've been collecting more or less the same things our lives, and they, they're saying something, like you say, about us, our interests, our personalities. And I think there's just this playful aspect to it. It's something you do just because you like to do it. I mean, there's really, you know, aside from that kind of personal expression, there's not much point to it, you know. Uh, some artists, as we'll see, do absolutely collect things that they use in their work, but other people collect things that don't seem to have a really direct uh, connection. With the, there's play in the whole process, you know, finding things and, um, you know, collecting them, searching them out, displaying them, how are you going to show them? And, and just most of the times what we collect delight us in some way visually. I mean, there's something um, about getting a bunch of things together that have both similarities and differences that's just satisfying on some level to see the variety um, in the same idea, the same basic you know, function or object and how many different ways it's showing up. So, I mean, that too, I can definitely see relating to an art practice where we're all the time thinking of variations on, you know, what it is we're doing. Um, and, you know, maybe some, some kind of like integrating of ideas or bringing a bunch of stuff together around a particular idea uh, seems pretty creative to me. Um, and it's, it's just, it's sort of compulsive, I guess, you know, <laughs> once we, once we get going on a collection, it's hard to, um, to stop or to ignore a wonderful new um, addition. Yeah, and it's it is addictive. It is a bit. <laughs> oh, and people give you stuff, right? Like, oh, I know right, you. Right. I know you collect this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're going to reveal a bunch of people's. We're going to reveal a bunch of people's obsessions here and look out, people. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's that's what happens is you get a collect you start you start with just a couple things or or and then it becomes three or four and then it becomes a half dozen and then people find out that you have this collection of a half dozen things and every time they see one they bring it to you and then it become it gets out of hand and exactly. you never want to turn it away because you're like oh that one's so cool and you there's know? there's you know I think there's a delight in in finding something for someone else's collection, you know, oh, so-and-so right, would right. really connect with that, you know, and you cannot resist it. So, um, so I don't know, basically, they just seem to be about enjoyment and paying attention to things around you. And, you know, all that is some aspect of creativity, but we're going to go into it in a little more detail here. I, I did a little um, online reading about artist collections. And I discovered that in 2015 at the Barbican Center in London, there was a exhibit called Magnificent Obsessions. <laughs> There's that word, the artist as collector. And um, someone who reviewed um, the show, Lydia Yee is her name. She wrote this and I, 
I thought this was kind of interesting. Most artists keep things because they are a reflection of the world around them. It might be books, printed images, objects, or works by other artists, and these can serve as props, reference material, source of inspiration, or talismans. And she gave examples of Picasso collecting African masks, and you can definitely see that interest in um, his work. Um, the architect, Le Corbusier collected all kinds of natural objects and pottery and glassware um, that he apparently inspired his architecture. And um, also he did some still life painting with those things. Andy Warhol, um, we know as a pop culture curator, <laughs> um, he, uh, he kept something he called a time capsule box and he would fill it every month and send it to a storage facility um, and this collection is now owned by the Warhol Museum, which is still unsealing these boxes <laughs> after he died. Well, and I, I think that that brings up a good point, which is what's going to happen to your collections after <laughs> you're gone? And why exactly are you worried about this, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> please, please have a plan for your collections. <laughs> I'm begging you. <laughs> Yes, all right. I'll put it on my to-do list. <laughs> Especially if your collection is like rusted old cars or <laughs> farm machinery <laughs> hmm, or okay. so something like that. <laughs> Fortunately, that doesn't apply to me personally, but yes, anything bulky or hard to deal with. <laughs> if your collection requires a warehouse for storage, then then please have a plan for it. <laughs> Yes, good point. And we do have to think about who will inherit these collections when we get to a certain age, and uh, and many of which have really only have value for the person who collected them. You know, I mean, other people in the same vein may be interested in their collection, but as the heir to this collection, finding those people could be quite a challenge. So, um, I think it's a really good idea if you have something that you believe is a good collection that you want to give on to someone else, you know, find out who that is and kind of figure it out ahead of time. Um, because yeah, it can be a burden. These are objects and sometimes large objects that have to be dealt with. Um, I wanted to go on a little bit. If you, if you're done ranting about collections, um, I want, I <laughs> oh, want, I got more, but we can move on for now. <laughs> you can insert it as needed. Ross is not a huge fan of collections, people. You, you know, and and it's, I, I think that they're they're dangerous, they're addictive, um, and uh, I I have a very negative view of of collecting in general, but I do see the value in a a nicely curated collection of value. Um, and, uh, and, and in spite of all that, I do have a couple collections myself that we can talk about later. So Yes, we'll do that. I'm going to talk about one from your childhood. I hope I won't embarrass you too much. Oh, I'm sure you will. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. the fun of this podcast. It is. Um, so uh, I just wanted to, to get back to Lydia Yee and her writing about this wonderful exhibit. Um, because she ended by saying she feels that it's, uh, collecting is a creative act, especially attractive to artists, as a way of continuing the connection to play that we had as children. Um, and her quote was, from a very young age, um, collecting helps us explore, understand, and organize the world. 
whether it be through a bag of marbles or a box of rocks. It's something that artists are able to extend into adulthood, while most others tend to sublimate this impulse towards more rational ends. (laughs) And it's not that artists are the only ones who collect, obviously. Many people have this hobby. But I like that idea that it it does connect us to that um, feeling we had as kids of finding a great little rock or, you know, a new um, little toy car for our collection or whatever it was. And it's just a sort of simple delight. I don't know. Um, another kind of note from history that I came across online was the whole idea of cabinets of curiosity. Um, and this is a phrase, and you can Google that and see what I mean by this, but it was an idea uh, that came out actually in the late 1500s. Um, and they were collections of notable objects, is what they were referred to, by individual people. So they're like little mini museums. But everything lumped together um, from you know antiquities, um, things from nature, um, little works of art, taxidermied animals were popular, uh, sculptures, articles of clothing, clocks, and little things like that. Um, originally referring to an entire room full of this stuff, and then later on um, referring to actual cupboards or cabinets. And there's all these Like a really cool junk drawer. Yeah, and they're all... How these things are linked seem to be that they were somehow just interesting or exotic, or maybe there was some esoteric connection to them that the person themselves um, recognized. And these became especially popular in Victorian times. And I have this wonderful memory. My grandmother had one of these um, on her sun porch. And as a special privilege, she would let me go in there and, and, and take things out and look at them. And it was all these just odd little bits of things, little tiny sculptures and figurines and shells and um, arrowheads and all kinds of things that she had picked up. And, to me, it was just like magic to be able to look at all that stuff um, because it was kind of unrelated too. I mean, it wasn't like you're looking at a shell over and over. It's like all these odd things, uh, but put in one place. And a friend of mine, Irish artist, um, Joanna Kidney, uh, made a an installation um, in 2015 called Wunderkammer that was based on this idea and uh, I took this from her website. It said, Her Wunderkammer acts as the storage place of her ideas and the materials from which these spring. For example, a coral shell found years ago, the pattern surface of which remains central to her thinking. And I think, I think really what a lot of artists are doing are assembling these cabinets of curiosity, whether they're actually you know, in a play, in one place, typically they're not, you know, spread out in some way. But, um, you know, just these things that just pull us in. So I did post this uh, inquiry on Facebook saying, what do you collect? And I was, I, I said right up front, you know, I wasn't interested in, in people saying the things that artists always collect, like art books and, you know, pieces of art and art supplies. <laughs> Although some of these fall into a category of art supplies because people end up using them in their work. Um, And I had a lot of great responses. I'm going to apologize up front if I don't include everyone in this part because I may forget or leave someone out just because it's going to get a bit long. But um, 
by far the biggest category of things that artists collect are um, things that they either use actually in their work or as inspiration from nature and rocks, shells, feathers, bark, driftwood, insects, leaves, skulls, skeletons. Um, the photographer Deirdre Monk collects onion skins and she makes the most wonderful photographs with these. And by the way, I'm going to put um, I asked for photos of some of these collections, and I, I'm going to post some of these on our Facebook page. Um, and so this impulse to pick up bits of nature is so strong in many people. And um, I, I have a kind of a funny story from when I go on my yearly artist residencies to this to Ballinglet Arts Foundation, and I always stay in the same little cottage there. And one year there was a note in the cottage, and it said, artists, please do not bring any more rocks into the cottage, <laughs> because that's what we do when we're there. We bring rocks in and put them on the windowsills and everything, and it had just gotten to be too much, I guess. And interestingly enough, the um, the note was gone the next year, and the rocks kept coming. <laughs> I suppose at some point, somebody has to take them out and put them outside somewhere. But Yeah, I wonder if there's like a pile of really cool rocks somewhere. <laughs> Probably. But it's, you know, you're walking, you're, you're out in nature, and to me, picking up rocks is, I cannot resist it. I pick them up all the time here in New Mexico as well. Um, and they're like, little beautiful abstract paintings and I I often have this feeling of like why do I bother you know nature does it and rocks to me just have everything I want you know so um so a lot of people do that and I've been doing that since childhood my dad used to um take us rock hunting and fossil hunting and stuff like that um and uh feathers were mentioned several times um an artist Emily McConkey mentioned that when she sees a feather, she it's like a little gift from nature, and she has to pick it up. And I like that idea. You know, it's sort of like um, if we're paying attention, we see these small objects that are, are really beautiful. Um, Ruth Carter, an uh, artist in Alaska, used the term, and I'm not sure if you say gillies or jillies. It's G-I-L-L-I-E-S. And she said, <clears throat> it was a term I learned in the native village of Shaktulik, Alaska, and it means little beach treasures um, made of stone, porcelain, glass, bone. And she picks these up uh, like so many people do, but there's an actual word for it. Um, and she said it evokes a sense of place, nature, history, and curiosity. Um, um, before we move on to the rest of these comments, um, I'd like to take a quick moment to talk about sponsorship on The Messy Studio. Uh, if you've listened to the last couple episodes, you've probably noticed we're doing a couple mid-roll ad reads. Um, and if you have a art-related service or product or you just have a show coming up and you want to have a mid-roll ad read on The Messy Studio, um, just send us an email. Our rates are very reasonable and we'll work with you to make it happen. We want to help you guys. You guys have been very supportive of the podcast and it's very important to us that we give back to you um so just send us an email if you want a mid-roll ad read and we'll work something out uh back to you rebecca all right so um going on with artists who are using these natural objects like feathers rocks shells stones bones etc uh either because they they inspire them in some way or they're actually using the actual objects um 
an artist called Tammy West sent some nice, really interesting photos of her in caustic work where she uses natural objects like feathers and pine needles um, in her compositions. I'll put a couple of those up. Um, and artists also seem to like things that are affected by nature, by natural processes, things that are rusty, things that are worn, eroded, um, rusty metal. Um, and uh, sea glass in particular, an artist called Linda Povey mentioned, uh, and what she said was, um, I think the organic shapes and translucence appeals to me that a bottle from 100 years ago um, could become a precious jewel worn by time. So um, these are all pretty direct associations that I find interesting, um, actually, you know, directly connected to what they're doing. Um, and people, in some of the photos people sent, you could see how they were displaying these things too, and often the display, like, is it in a glass jar? Is it somewhere where you see it all the time is kind of important as well. But other times people just have them randomly here and there, I guess. Um I've seen a couple of beautiful, in artists' homes, I've seen a couple of beautiful uh, dining tables that were actually like a large display box with a glass top. And so when you're eating, you're looking down at the objects underneath the glass, and it's, it's gorgeous. I've seen uh, that twice now. Um, so um, a couple of other, kind of getting off the topic of this nature stuff, Um Anya Laville sent us a photo of stuff she collects for still life, and her comment was so much stuff. Uh, and the, the photo is a still life in itself, so I'll probably post that <laughs> one. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, uh, I also wanted wanted to mention one other natural object, which is the pomegranate, and an artist called um, Kathy Abernathy Meliopoulos. Uh, these are not necessarily actual pomegranates, but uh, she she collects them. Either some of them are dried, I guess, or some are ceramic or wood. But she loves the natural form of it. And she says, uh, so unassuming on the outside, but filled with delicious jewel-like seeds on the inside. And pomegranates are symbolic in a lot of different cultures and religions for concepts like fertility, um, eternal life, beauty, righteousness. And so it's a powerful object. And you find pomegranates throughout works of art, uh, in art works of art throughout history. So that was, I thought that was an interesting, particular, very specific natural object that she's attracted to. Um, yeah. And um, pomegranates, they were uh, known in ancient Israel as the, they were the fruits that the the scouts, when the, the, the Jewish people were wandering in the desert, yeah. they would bring back pomegranates to show that the land ahead was fruitful. Oh. Um, and then, um, during the, what, once they constructed the tabernacle, I mean, this is all like old Testament stuff, right? So <laughs> once they <laughs> constructed the tabernacle and they had like more of a kind of an organized religion, um, there were pomegranates that were a part of like the peace, the, the, the priestly garments, um, because of the, the symbolism of the, of the fruit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, pomegranates incredibly, uh, uh, powerful, um, in terms of, the uh, the the spiritual energy that has been put into these fruits over the years, yeah, and I, apples as well, very similar to apples, right? And and uh, Kathy was the only one who mentioned such a spe very specific and very symbolic object, but I suspect that artists who use symbolism in their work also collect um, 
a lot of these objects. I mean, it would be a natural natural connection. Yeah. And I'm actually, I'm looking it up on Google right now just because I'm, it's in my head and I'm interested. Yeah. And I found a, a little thing that says, um, in the Jewish faith, pomegranates are traditionally eaten on Rosh Hashanah, uh, which is the Jewish New Year, because it has 613 seeds, which coincide with the 613 commandments of the Torah. Oh, wow. Really? So there's, there's all of this esoteric meaning behind behind pomegranates. Yeah. That, that's amazing. Um. Yeah, and wow, makes me want to collect pomegranates. There's okay. oh, there's tons of art. <laughs> yeah, I know there's tons of articles about the the link with uh with Judaism. Um and I, I'm not going to go this is a deep dive. This is a deep dive right here, but <laughs> Yeah. There's yeah. there's a lot of links to to ancient religions in general. Um uh, broadly, but uh, I knew that there was a, a link with Judaism, which was why my mind went there just immediately. But yeah, that that's what impressed me about that particular symbol was I did a little bit of looking, and it was like it shows up from Greek mythology to everywhere. I mean, it's just been throughout art history, and uh, I mean history, a really important symbol. So, um, one uh, one other person I wanted to mention that um, kind of relates to this natural. Attraction to natural objects, but um, a, an interesting connection to her work is um, my friend, Christina Yaka, and she said, um, I have a purse collection of knotless netting, plating, and other fiber techniques. A basket from Mexico spoke to me because it has a structure of branches, and over that bark is netted to form a skin, very much like my method of making sculptures, structure, and skin. So collecting something in nature that so directly relates to her process. It's really interesting. Um, so I wanted to go on with a few um, slightly quirkier or slightly more personal or humorous or something, the kind of collections that you might say, well, I don't know, does that actually relate to your artwork? Um, and there were several of those. I have to say one of mine is um, is frogs. I like to collect frogs. Um, uh, actually had some real ones at one point in a, in a pond out in front. And... Um, so, but there's some, I, you know, and I say, well, what is it? They're very specific frogs that I like uh, because sometimes frog figurines and things can be very overly cute, like, um, and I don't like those at all. I don't like them if they're cute. They have to have that sort of weird expression where they're, they're both ludicrous and solemn at the same time, you know, with their big bulgy eyes and their strange expressions, you know, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about it that they just amuse me, and I I do collect those, as you know. Um, it's sort of this combination of serious and silly at the same time, I guess. Um, They're profound frogs. That's what they are. They are. They need they need to express something profound, or I am simply not interested. Okay. Um, so another friend of mine, um, Martha Woodworth, she wrote a little thing which I thought was. Very nice, because it connects to something um, that she used to do with her grandmother. She says, I collect small figures of um, figurines of woodland animals. The higher quality porcelain are difficult to find. My maternal grandmother and I walked together to collect moss, tiny hemlock pine cones, stones, lichen, birch sticks, and created winter gardens together. I have continued making these to connect with her and because it's enjoyable, relaxing, fun, and meditative. And I remember um, her making one of these for once we had uh, Thanksgiving dinner together and she made one of these little scenes for the table. So it's just like a, 
it's not only collecting the things, but what she's doing with them to uh, have that feeling of connecting with her grandmother. Um, Diana uh, Coutrone mentioned that ever since she was, a, when she was a child, I think she stopped at some point, but she used to collect what she called little blue objects. Like, okay, anything that's little and blue. So um, that could be a lot of things. could be marbles, figurines, um, jewelry, anything. Um, but there's a very specific limitation on a parameter around what it is, uh, little and blue. So um, I asked her if she still had any of these, then she actually went and looked and found a few and sent me a picture. So I just, I kind of like that as a very small child, she's making this category that she's um, going to stick to. <laughs> um, my friend Paula Gorski uh, collects robots, like wind-up robots and um, they have to be like the 1950s style robots, right? They're they're, they're retro, they're like a specific kind of robot. They're retro, um, like tin toys and wind up toys. Um, and she she collects a, a lot of other pop culture stuff too. I I think she's the only person I know that has a Pee Wee Herman doll. <laughs> she has this, you know. It's it's it ends up being quite humorous and interesting and a bit nostalgic uh, to look at all this stuff. Um, Hillary Joan, a British artist, collects Chinese opera puppets. Um, I don't know how she got onto this, but she sent a photo of them and very, you know, intricate, ornate, interesting um, figures. Um, an artist uh, called Marilyn Peretti, she, she said uh, somehow she discovered carvings from the Shushan stone, uh, from Shushan stone, from a single place in China. The Shushan village in, oh God, I'm not good here, Fujian province. Um, but she was very intrigued by all the different figures. Most, I guess they're mostly animals, some hundreds of years old, uh, some more recently carved with motorized carving tools, but most of them are hand carved. And she sent pictures of those and, and the, you see several colors mold, uh, together. And she says, this is not like, it looks a bit like molded plastic, but this is actually the stone. Um, so she just started collecting these and some of them have stamps on the bottom and they're gorgeous um, little objects. Um, so I, uh, oh, I, yes, I threatened to... Um, uh, yeah, you said you were going to embarrass me. I, I was. Okay, so I was thinking, and maybe this won't embarrass you, but I was thinking about what is it about this stuff we collect when we're children that kind of sometimes you, you realize there's a connection, even if you don't keep the collection to what you do later. And I was thinking, when Ross was little, he collected bottles, glass bottles, soda mm -hmm. bottles, whatever. And there were you had like tons of them in your room. Um, and... You know, some of them were really unusual. They, especially, I think you had a lot of um, soda bottles, and some from when you went to Japanese camp and got the ones from Japan and different things like that. And we used to, you know, give them to you and collect them, and it was kind of, it was kind of fun. Um, and then I thought, yeah. And then you went on and got into clay, and you made a lot of vessels in clay. And um, I thought. Well, isn't that kind of interesting? You know, maybe there, as a child, there was some um, attraction to the vessel, and what was accessible to you as a kid were pop bottles. You know, and then later, it's it's like it evolved in this interesting direction. Yeah, and it and it goes further as well. Um, oh, good. Because okay. Because now, 
I own a beverage company uh, that I did all the package design for. Yes, true. And you also collect wine glasses. I know this. <laughs> yeah, if we want to move into my current collections, um, you know, I, I wine glasses are something that I've collected with my fiance because we both have worked at wineries in the past and we visit a lot of wineries and it's kind of a nice thing that you can pick up at pretty much any winery that you go to. Um, and, uh, and also since, um, I'm, I'm now working, uh, my night job, uh, as many of you longtime listeners know is, is that I bartend and we we're always having brewery reps come through. Um, so I, it's, it started out as just kind of a game that I would play where I would try to get a, a glass or a hat off of a brewery rep. Um, because I know that they, they roll around with a, a bunch of, swag a bunch of merchandise that it's their job to give it away yes Um, and so so i would i would try to get a glass or a hat and so i i have a bunch of uh brewery glasses and brewery hats um and i've kind of reached the point with both of those collections where i'm not like actively seeking out more i feel like i have enough um you know i have as i have enough brewery hats that i can wear a different one every day for a couple weeks and you know uh and i i so I, I don't need more of those, <laughs> you know, I've got enough and I've, I've got a shelf full of pub glasses. I don't really need more of those. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, it's it, when somebody knows that I collect these things and they say, Oh, well, here's a glass, here's a hat. I'm obviously excited. I'm not going to turn it away. Right. Um, so I, the, both these collections have reached the point where I'm kind of curating them a little bit more. I'm getting rid of the ones that I don't really like as much. And I'm, keeping the ones I like, and I'm a little bit more picky about what I get. And I I think that's definitely a stage that a lot of people will recognize when when you just can't take any more. Yeah, it's not just about the number of objects that you have. It's about having the right ones. Right. And you might start out with some that were sort of, you know, cool, but not as cool as something you get later. And then you, yeah, Yeah. curate. That's a good point. Um, and I, I also have some smaller collections. I've got I've got a few um, uh, silk shirts. I, I like silk shirts, uh, silk wine print shirts, and things like that. I like the feeling of the silk. It's nice when it's hot out in the summer. Um, and uh, uh, I've also got like um, you know a few track jackets and things like that. And it's just like clothing items that I like. It's kind of like the brewery hats. You know, it's things that I like and that I wear and that are comfortable and I think look good. You it know. strikes me that everything you've said is a usable object. Yeah, I'm very into things that I can use. I'm, I'm not so much into things that just sit on a shelf. Yeah, and that's really different But than I think. Yeah. Aside from the people we've talked about that are using the actual objects in their work, um, the idea that it would have a practical use is that's another whole category, you know? And I would say probably a lot of people have things around the house that have some practical, you know, I'm looking around at throw pillows all over the place here and, you know, I like them. They're, (laughs) they're useful. I have a lot of them, you know? Um, Uh, The the utility of throw pillows is debatable. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Probably one of those things you hope I get rid of before you inherit them, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're in in my personal collections. I've definitely shifted towards usable items um, because I, I don't want things that just sit on a shelf. And that that goes back to what kind of art I'm interested in as well. I mean, when I went to school and and stuff, I was what I was really into was wood fired pottery. 
and uh, you know, it's it's there's something about having, um, you know, objects of interest or artistic items that you actually pick up and touch that's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, that uh, that you're not. It, it maybe it goes back to childhood and being around all this art that's like, oh, you can't touch that. You know what I mean? Like maybe just the urge to be able to pick things up and touch things is is so is just ingrained in me now. Yeah, I remember this thing when you were pretty little, and you said to me, "But what do you do with a painting? Like, what use is it?" Harsh. We're, we're Harsh. still we're still wondering this. Okay. <laughs> Well, and certainly, you know, these these things don't need to have purpose in order to be important <laughs> to you. And, uh, you know, just just being beautiful, as we talked about on on a previous podcast, is is certainly a, a purpose. Yes, um, thank has you. Power. Um, <laughs> you better but, say uh, this since you, that, you're hosting an art podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that there's been something that's that's ingrained in me where like. I would just I just want to touch things, you know. Mm. You, you tell somebody you can't do something, that's all that they want to do. So right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Uh you know, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to add. I, I, this obsessive quality of collecting is interesting to me. Um, this and the idea of connecting to to childhood and to kind of our inner drives that we may not necessarily be able to identify even, but this is a, a manifestation of a certain, you know, need for play or fun or something, you know, in our lives that uh, it comes through in such interesting ways. Um, and I, I do think it's one of those aspects of our lives, and we've talked about this more than once, there's a lot of things we do that are creative and collecting things may not strike us initially thinking about it as creative, but I think it is. It's, it's forming, it's forming a collection as a creative act. So that's about it. All right. Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the messy studio. For more from the messy studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find the messy studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.